What are the latest cybersecurity and breach trends affecting the healthcare sector, especially medical device makers and pharmaceutical firms? I'm Marian Kolbasak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Anna Spencer, partner and team leader for health information policy in Sidley Austin's LLP's Healthcare and Privacy, Data Security and Information Law Practices. Anna will be discussing some of the most pressing privacy and security trends that she sees in the healthcare sector, especially in her work with medical device makers and pharmaceutical firms. So now, Anna, as you work with medical device makers and pharmaceutical firms, what are the top privacy and security challenges that they're facing these days? Well, certainly cybersecurity is at the top of the list. So advanced persistent threats uh, from what are thought to originate in China and other foreign jurisdictions are a real problem. It's a multifaceted threat. It threatens companies' ability to protect their IP, the confidentiality of personally identifiable information in their possession, and also their business reputation. So as a result, cybersecurity is a very big-ticket item. From a privacy perspective, I'd say applying older laws to the use of new technology is one of the more current issues for life science companies. There are some really exciting new technologies like the Internet of Things, which refers to the ability of devices to communicate with each other using embedded sensors that are linked through wired and wireless networks. Experienced privacy professionals at companies are thinking through the privacy and data security issues early on in product development, which is really important to avoid major problems down the road. However, there's there's not a lot of guidance on how the federal privacy standards like HIPAA and other privacy laws at the state and and federal level apply in this context. So it can be really challenging to navigate the legal issues. So speaking of regulations, are there any developments in the health data privacy or security regulations, laws that we should be watching for in the coming months or in 2016 that would impact the healthcare sector or even specifically medical device makers or pharmaceutical firms? Yes, definitely. So according to the Department of Health and Human Services spring regulatory agenda, uh, the Office for Civil Rights, which is the federal agency that enforces HIPAA, plans to release an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking expected in December that would solicit comments on establishing a methodology under which an individual who's harmed by a HIPAA violation may receive a percentage of any CMP, civil monetary penalty, or settlement collected by the government. And that's important for two reasons. One, HIPAA enforcement is certainly on the rise. Since 2008, there have been approximately 25 resolution agreements between OCR and covered entities under HIPAA. And of those, 18 occurred in the last three years. And second, giving people a share in a settlement would obviously provide a powerful incentive to them to bring complaints to OCR about possible HIPAA violations. As a result, you know, such a mechanism is certainly intended to and would lead to even more enforcement. So that is one thing that development on the horizon that life science companies and healthcare providers should definitely be watching for. 
Now, we haven't seen any enforcement actions from OCR directed at pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies. Do you think that might be something that we might see moving ahead? Yes, absolutely. One reason that we haven't seen a life science company subject to a a settlement or enforcement action is because historically they have not acted as either a covered entity or business associate under HIPAA. However, the industry is changing, and there are examples of life science companies acting in a regulated capacity by offering services, for instance, to a covered entity and thereby becoming a business associate. There has not been a settlement yet against a business associate, but there certainly will be. That is something that we're, we're watching for. There's been one round of audits that are mandated under federal law that have been conducted by the Office for Civil Rights. The next round of audits is supposed to commence sometime this fall. And OCR has indicated that those audits will include audits of business associates. So it's certainly possible that a life science company could be targeted in that round of audits or otherwise subject to an enforcement action where it acts as either a HIPAA-covered entity or a business associate. With hackers targeting the healthcare sector more and more, what should the pharmaceutical companies be doing to protect research data and intellectual property? Well, so I really think that the key is focusing on what I would call defensible security practices. No company can be perfect in this context. They cannot eliminate you know, all risks, but it's really about risk identification and management. The NIST cybersecurity framework is a good one for organizations to consider. It outlines five basic elements of a cybersecurity program, which life sciences companies need to have. Those five elements are, number one, to identify cyber risks and vulnerabilities. Number two, to protect critical infrastructure assets, so putting policies and procedures in to address and mitigate the the risks and vulnerabilities that are identified. Number three, to detect the the occurrence of a cyber event, and that's done through, again, policies and procedures, technical and non-technical solutions to detect cyber events. Then number four, responding to a, a detected event, and number five, recovering from that event. Um, and this is a con- this is not a one-time activity. This is a continuing exercise of identifying risks, detecting events, responding to them, and recovering from them, and then constantly applying the lessons learned from that experience to improve the, the cybersecurity program that the life sciences company implements. We've seen in the healthcare sector that it often takes months or maybe even years sometimes to detect breaches. Why do you think that's the case? Well, so these are, you know, what we're talking about primarily here is is about sophisticated attacks that are designed to, to prevent detection. Uh, the hackers take steps to cover their tracks. And then once a problem is identified, it takes time to remediate that, to get your arms around what happened and then respond to it. It takes time to examine the network activity, such as logs. It takes time to work with forensics 
experts who are often outside third-party contractors and to determine what happened within the network. Another complication here is that a company often cannot use its normal and efficient ways of communicating. For instance, it cannot use its email system if there's a possibility that the security of that system has been compromised. So they can't have communications about what we're seeing and what we're going to do about it if there's a possibility that the unauthorized actors are actually monitoring what's going on on the email system. So for a variety of reasons, these issues are not easy ones to either detect or to respond to. Any suggestions for how organizations should improve their detection and response to health data breaches? Absolutely. So, again, there's really no panacea here, but companies can and should consider both technical and non-technical approaches to mitigate the risk. So, in terms of technical solutions, there are certainly data loss prevention software and also companies should be taking into account or considering regularly conducting vulnerability scans, penetration testing that will help them identify uh, vulnerabilities to the system. And then non-technical approaches to mitigate the risk are equally as important. So, for example, investing in knowledgeable professionals to lead the charge of ensuring cybersecurity, uh, that's important. Reviewing and creating as necessary policies and procedures to, again, identify the risks and mitigate the risks. Making sure that governing boards are involved and kept up to date, you know, regularly updated on the company's position, preparedness, and their ability to address problems as they arise. Training individuals is is critical, very simple things like making sure that employees understand not to click on links and emails they receive from individuals they, they might not know or that might look suspicious, helping train individuals on how to detect possible incidents and report them so that the company can promptly address them. That's critical. Doing things like participating in ISACs, so information sharing and analysis centers, that's a good so best practice to help detect and respond to security threats. And then also things like uh, conducting tabletop exercises where the company works through a hypothetical breach as if it were really occurring. That may sound boring, but it's actually quite fun. <laughs> and so you can create a hypothetical situation and can entail things like waking up your outside counsel in the middle of the night to talk about, about the problem. And you can go through these exercises that really engage people in a way that's, that's much more meaningful than simply having them listening to a training session. So these are all things that life science companies can and should consider. Going back for a second to medical device makers, healthcare organizations often complain that these manufacturers are slow to issue patches for vulnerabilities and to address cybersecurity in general. And in one recent case, the FDA actually advised 
healthcare organizations to stop using a particular line of infusion pumps because of cybersecurity vulnerabilities. What do you think it will take for medical device makers to get the message that they need to be more proactive in terms of addressing the cybersecurity of their products? I am aware of the Hospira alert, and uh, that that's a very significant development. The FDA issued that alert saying that hospitals and other healthcare facilities should stop using Hospira's discontinued computerized system for, for general infusion therapy due to cybersecurity concerns, and that was a very significant regulatory development. I'm not sure I would agree with the the characterization that some healthcare providers are critical of device manufacturers as not understanding or appreciating the risks. I think that this is a, a complicated area and it's a challenge a very very challenging one as well. When you're talking about threats from you know, nation states, that's not something that's easy to address. So again, defensible security practices are what the focus should be. In my experience, uh, life science companies are very much becoming more and more attuned to these issues and are adopting best practices at addressing those issues. Certainly, regulatory action like the FDA against Hospira regarding the Hospira device, that is a, is a very powerful message to industry. And in addition, that you know, FDA has issued additional guidance regarding their expectations for how manufacturers will address cybersecurity as part of their pre-market submissions uh, for management of cybersecurity. So as a result of, of that guidance, which dictates that manufacturers have to have a cybersecurity plan, to identify and mitigate cybersecurity risks. It also requires, you know, documentation um, in the submission, listing all of the cyber risks that the manufacturer has considered and the controls adopted to address uh, address those risks and even the rationale for why the manufacturer has adopted certain controls over others. All of these things will mean that manufacturers will be focused on cybersecurity risks, and I think that that trend will will only continue. Thanks, Anna. I've been speaking to attorney Anna Spencer. I'm Marian Kolbosak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.